Hey, Coach. Chris, we're coming in hot, man. You know, how's uh, how's uh, how's the semester winding down for you? Uh, pretty good. I just have two weeks left, and then uh, I'm on a holiday break, and then um, come back and have three more weeks left of that class, and then uh, then the first semester I'll be over with. Since we do things six week block scheduling, mm-hmm. so technically my semester doesn't end until end of January, but I'll have a two-week break here, coming here soon, but uh, I'm doing everything from home. It's online, this class is, so. I see. Are you, wear- are yeah. you wearing your mask? <laughs> oh, when I'm out? Yeah, I mean, I don't really go anywhere, though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, a uh, little bit of uh, breaking news right here. I'm noticing, uh, for those of us that are high school soccer fans in the area, uh, I just saw a tweet. Collins High School is uh, looking for a head coach on the boys' side. So, uh, yeah, any of our any of our listeners are are uh, getting the itch to uh, to run a program. Um, give Collins a call. They looks like they play a pretty looks like they play a pretty uh, competitive schedule. There's going there's there's going to be talent out there. I believe they're on a turf field. Um, so that's a uh, uh, so I'm anxious to see what. Uh, who who takes that over um for 2021 yeah, sure. so anyway um so there's that uh all right well we're coming in hot so uh uh why don't you get it all off your chest and be a fanboy about sting let her rip man yeah i mean it was just one of those true mark out moments I don't, did, did, did you watch it i flipped over yeah i was luckily i was yeah, i was I texted the tv you. yeah yeah um yeah yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was just, it was one of those true markout moments that you don't really see too often because everything's just so ruined on the internet. I mean, people, nothing's a surprise nowadays in wrestling. And, and this was, so it was just one of those few moments where, you know, oh my God, it's, you know, nobody expected this. Um, I don't know. It wasn't really the best debut. I didn't like how all the heels just left the ring when he came out there. Right. I mean, that made him look weak, I think. And he didn't really do much. All he did was, well, he had, he had the baseball bat mm-hmm. and you know, everything else. And he, he just looked at Cody Rhodes and then looked at Darby Allen, but that was it. Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah that's all I saw. Yeah, I mean, I have no clue how they're going to use him. I mean, if I had to guess the manager role, but does that really fit Sting's character, though? Uh, I wouldn't rule anything out. I think what we'll end up seeing is uh, uh, there's a rumor going around online right now that we're going to see Jericho versus Sting, which uh, um, I think Jericho's starting to look pretty rough in the ring. Yeah, well, you know, Sting's 60 years old, so um, you know that's one where you uh, uh, you let them wrestle and then for a couple minutes, and then they uh, go down and take a big bump, and they get five minutes to breathe and come back and do it again. Sting can't have too many matches left in him. It's just uh, no. I mean, I, I would think they'd probably use him in a tag match. Uh, he'll probably team with Cody and Darby Allen uh, against Team Taz. Which, by the way, I love everything that Taz is doing mm-hmm. over there. And, and, and you know, they use those legends pretty well. I mean, Arn Anderson, he's been used pretty well with Cody and uh, who else is over there? Tully and Jake the Snake. So I mean, they'll use them good. I think. Right. Just, I'm not sure what it will be. Right, right. If I had to guess, probably something with Darby Allen. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Um, that's my guess too. That would be my guess too. I, I wasn't. Uh, I was not a little stinger back in the day, um, as Jr. was putting it. Um, I didn't watch hardly <laughs> any the body yeah. commentary on it. Was great. Yeah. Wasn't um, a WCW fan back in the day, so um, you know I'm. Um, I guess it's cool that they brought Sting back out. I'm just not sure really what it accomplishes, but I'm assuming we'll find out well, here in the next couple months. Yeah, I mean, it's just the big name power that will give AEW more credibility, and I think CM Punk's going to be next for them. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if, he, if, if that's their next big star they're trying to get. Well, then maybe that's when we get Punk and Sting. Oh, I don't know about that. I would like to see CM Punk back, though. Yeah, I'd be all for it. So yeah, sure. That'd be all for it. So, well, um, time will tell. Definitely, yeah. Uh, another thing, I'm gonna 
watch Impact Wrestling tonight for the first time in, gosh, probably six years. Because mm-hmm. um, it looks like AEW is going to do a partnership with them. Uh, Kitty Omega won the world title last week, and uh, Don Callis, which I guess he's the owner of Impact now. I have no clue who he was, but uh, he said, we'll see you Tuesday, Tuesday night on Impact. So. Okay. Well, I'm not as much of a... I'm not. I I don't know the ins and outs of the of the business. I'm not as much of a fan, maybe as I uh, once was. Um, Fatherhood to do that to you. Um, uh, I don't know. You know, I'm not up to date on all the internet rumors and everything. So um, I'm sure somebody from somebody from behind their keyboard to be like, it can't happen. But um, I I think it's cool that Impact and uh, AEW. It looks like they formed a partnership. Um, hopefully we get to see ring of honor and uh, new Japan do the same thing. And if those four, if those four, um, promotions can, can team up, I think they'll be able to put out number one, two shows, um, uh, which I think I've heard TNT is wanting, but also, yeah. um, they might be able to challenge WWE a little bit. Yeah. So, uh, we'll see. Definitely. We'll see. We'll see. So anyway, um, <clears throat> there have been rumors uh, running that um, I've suffered a traumatic head injury um, uh, after too many shots to the head. Um, you know, Chris, what did you hear? Well, I heard you say something that you were you had to go to the ER uh, or the doctor for something. You were yep. working out or something. Apparently can't work out like The Rock does. It's a funny story. So, all right. So, I, I wasn't going to share this, but I was talking to my buddy the other night, and uh, he said, "Dude, you got to." You he's like, "That story you just told me, you have to, you have to lead off on your on your podcast next week with that story." So, here we go. Here we are. All right. So, I guess the Sunday before Thanksgiving, I did a really stupid workout. I was doing dips, right, and I'd gotten to a point where I could do thirty in a row pretty comfortably without really without really straining. And I decided I wanted to challenge myself. So I took a chain that I have for working out and I draped it over my neck and shoulders and tried to do the dips with that because, you know, the rock does it. So why can't I, you know, and um, <clears throat> needless to say, um, I knew I would be sore the next day. I knew my neck would probably have some uh, would lose some mobility for a couple of days because of it. But I was willing, if, I, if it helped push me a little bit. Anyway, um, I uh, the the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, I started feeling like this twitching in the back of my head, hmm. like a sharp pain, almost like you're being shocked. And I thought, hmm, this is interesting. And um, uh, that that wasn't the case, uh, or that was that was the case. So Wednesday before Thanksgiving, I took myself to urgent care and they said it's a migraine. I'm like, it's not a migraine. And I was begging somebody to ask me if it was a tumor because you know what the comeback was going to be, Chris? What's that? Have you not ever seen Kindergarten Cop? No, never heard of it. Killing me, Smalls. You know, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, (laughs) Arnold Schwarzenegger says it's not a tumor, right? I was begging, begging for somebody to suggest it was a tumor so I could say that. Never happened. So, um, (laughs) Anyway, uh, they said it was a migraine. They took some blood work and everything, and then they said uh, you need uh, you're going to have to uh, just basically told me to tough it out until Monday. And if it's still hurting you on Monday, you need to go get a doctor's appointment. So Thanksgiving weekend, I was miserable. I mean, this pain just wouldn't. It was really, really intense. You know, I took plenty of Excedrin, ibuprofen, Tylenol, nothing. Right, mm-hmm. so. Monday rolls around and my wife goes ahead and she booked me an appointment um, with the doctor. To the doctor on Thursday morning and um, she said, well, I don't think it's a migraine, but also don't think it's anything like life threatening. So right. definitely wasn't a tumor. Right. And then she comes back with, but because I had told her about my, you know, my history playing soccer and everything, coaching soccer. And she was like, um, she was like, you've had a lot of head trauma. Cause I told her I've had three concussions and wow. that's true. 
Um, that's very true. Um, uh, but uh, she, and she said, you also need to think about how many times have you been hit in the head with the ball? How many times have you been elbowed, forearmed in the head? She was like, you've had a lot of head trauma in your life. You need to go to the doc. You need to go get a scan. She got real serious, and that kind of scared me. She also yeah, she also said she also said that there was a possibility that I had an acute stroke, um, which you know yeah. she said that happens to people all the time. So, um, so I went to the emergency room like right away. I went I went by the house first, and keep in mind I need to point this out. I hadn't eaten yet up to that point. I got up late for the appointment, so I had to hurry there. Didn't have time to eat. And then I was running back to the house to get cleaned up and get a shower and everything before I went to the emergency room. And um, it was uh, – anyway, I forgot to grab food for that too. So I get in the emergency room, and, of course, I went to the one on Norton's or, – or on Brownsboro, the Norton over on Brownsboro, and right. thinking that it would be a little bit calmer. No, it was packed. It might as well have been University of Louisville Hospital at midnight. It was packed. And there were plenty of characters. Right. Oh, sure. So I went, Chris, first thing I did was I went over, um, um, I went over and here's the other weird thing too. There was no COVID test, right. But they, uh, wanted to test me for HIV. (laughs) So I'm like, all right, no, no need for that. So, um, so I went and parked it, trying to stay away from everybody in the room. So I went and parked it next to the bathroom. Bad move. I swear to God, I heard five people taking a dump that day, you know, and it was just, okay. so if I have to, if I have to hear that again, one more time, I'm going to scream, you know? So there was, there was that, um, by this point, by probably around one, 1231 o'clock, I'm getting hungry. Uh, I got there about 1130. So by one o'clock I'm starving. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to the vending machine and, uh, just eat some crap in there. And I pull a dollar bill out. The vending machine only takes exact change. I had a dollar. It wanted ninety. <laughs> it, it wanted ninety-five cents for a bag of chips. And wow, yeah. So I'm sitting here like I'm willing to give you a nickel, and you won't take it. <laughs> this is unbelievable. So I didn't get to eat. You know, uh, the 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 drink machine didn't have any bottles of water, only sodas, and I don't drink sodas. So this one, I don't drink soda. I haven't had a soda in almost two years. So, um, anyway, so I go back and sit down. Um, they finally call me back, uh, to the room and they tell me that, um, the nurse comes in and he says, yeah, I'm sure it's just a cluster headache. And I'm like, dude, if I, I was like, no, I'm going to go somewhere else and I'll sit somewhere else for five hours. No, it's not a headache. It's not a migraine. You know, he said, oh, well, okay. Well, so uh, anyway, so. I went and got a CT scan. Luckily, fortunately, came back clean. Uh, no signs of a, of an acute stroke. Luckily, no signs of a tumor. And all was good. So I'm sitting back there being miserable, though, because I'm ready to go home. I'm starving. My phone died. Um, um, there are probably people wondering what in the heck happened to me. <laughs> and um, so the doctor comes in. He finally comes in. He goes, well, we'd like to uh, we'd like to set you up with a headache specialist. So I'm like, dude, I don't have a headache. This is not a headache. Uh, and I fought him on it. I mean, I really told him. I said, look, man, I'm going to go somewhere else. This is not a headache. I've had plenty of migraines in my life. I've got a history of migraines. It's not a migraine. It's not a headache. And, yes, it's not a tumor. So um, uh, he, the doctor finally starts examining my head. He like He's, you know, just kind of putting his fingers on my head. It was kind of creepy, I know. But he gets to the spot in the back of the head. I said, don't move. Stop. That's it. That's the spot. And he said, okay, I know what you did in your workout that you told me about. And he said, okay. And so I was right. He said, I, um, it was a nerve issue. And um, I had pulled a muscle in the, behind my ear, right? And that muscle was attached to a nerve that goes up into that corner of the head. And, that's, and I irritated that nerve. So wow. it took you seven hours to – figure that out and i was right all along right <laughs> so yeah then, i don't know why doctors just say it's a headache i've heard that too from other people that go in for head injuries and whatnot i, just I don't call office headaches i don't understand that i don't know but then then so uh he wrote me a prescription but guess what he, they they released me without giving me the prescription so i'm go it's like rush hour traffic i'm on westport road 
and which I'm pretty sure, which I'm pretty sure gave birth to rush hour traffic and, uh, or congested traffic. And it's like the cradle of rush hour traffic civilization, you know? And then I get a call from the hospital. Hey, we, uh, we forgot to give you your uh, prescription. Hmm. Can you come back and get it? And it's like the prescription, the one that I need. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. So I drove back and then I come back in the front office or in the front in the lobby area. And they say, just have a seat right here and they'll be out with you uh, to give it to you. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm sitting out here waiting again. <laughs> 20 minutes later, 20 minutes later, finally, here's the prescription. So and I and I got to go home after that. Wow. So, you know, like a good Seinfeld episode. Yeah, it would have been. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> yeah. So it was pretty uh, it was pretty miserable. So um yeah, it was yeah, it was it was frustrating. But good news is prescription's working. My head's um it, it feels like it's screwed on straight now, so we're uh we're rolling. So Good God. Yeah. Long, long, long day. So <laughs> anyway, so uh, really and truly, we can start talking about the theme for today's show, um, buying in or getting a team to buy in, Chris. Uh, we can have that. We could we could kind of start that off with the Scott Satterfield conversation. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, just just give your general thoughts on it. Uh, I personally think he needs to go. But... Uh, he, he made he made a mistake, but I heard a great point on the radio this morning. Um, uh, somebody had called in and said. Look, he was speaking. It wasn't a it wasn't a manufactured uh, speech that was written by somebody else. He was speaking from the off the cuff. Um, he could probably he would probably like to rephrase a few things. Um, it, you know what, Chris? He looked like a guy that he looked like a guy that um, um, has never really been in trouble with his wife, but found himself in trouble, and kind of kind of and you know after saying sorry, that should have been it. But he kept going, and you're like, no, stop! Oh no! Oh, right. no! Oh. <laughs> so it went off a cliff. Um, I'm sure he'd like to. I hope he'd like to have some of those remarks back. Um, I'm going to go ahead and assume he's going to move on as soon as the first, uh, the first good opportunity comes along. Um, you know, I think he'd be a fool to just take. I think he'd be. I think he would have been a fool. The whole situation didn't make sense. South Carolina sucks. You know, that would have been like for that would have been to me. To me, you know, Fairdale, you know, Fairdale and, uh, you know, Iroquois would probably get a lot of comparisons. But on the soccer front, it shouldn't even be close, right? And, um, you know, that would have been like me leaving uh, Fairdale to go take a job at Iroquois uh, to coach their program. No offense to those kids, but they hadn't accomplished what we had at Fairdale, you know? So it just didn't make a lot of sense. And by the way, he went 3-7 and seven this year. So what in the world is South Carolina doing throwing millions of dollars at a guy that went 3-7 and seven this year? His quarterback regressed in year two, and they fumbled just about more than anybody else in the country. Right. Well, you know, I think the main thing is his, his family that's down there. I, I, I'm assuming that's probably the main reason why he looked at going down there. Because he so, had, you know. I mean, he knew his family was going to be away. He was going to be away from family when he took the job. I mean, right. Um, I mean, did he get homesick after two years? I mean, I, I don't. Might have. Uh, he just it, like a big city like this. I mean, I don't know. It's entirely possible. I think he, that's, you know, I don't know. I, I think he made a mistake. If you're truly committed, uh, you, if you're fully committed to the season that's in front of you, why are you going and entertaining this this conversation that they supposedly had? And you know, why'd you go to Bowling Green? So, yeah. uh, I mean, what did they do? What did they do? Meet at the Waffle House on Scottsville Road? <laughs> you know, I I just I want to thank Jeff Walsh because he's the only, I think, coach that would never do anything like this. He's kind of been the saving grace of Louisville athletics. He's he has been. He's been. He's been an unsung hero. The man's yes. that dude's not going to get enough credit. Now, what I really hope is that he stays because what I would tell him is, you know, anytime you're coach to me, anytime you're coaching something that's not boys basketball or football, you know, you're 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 never going to get enough credit, right? right. It's just. Um, the reality of it is that most schools, a football coach that goes three and eight is going to have way more, way more clout than a soccer coach that wins the region every year. I don't know why that is, but it's just the way it is. Um, and probably not fair, but I don't think it's changing either. So for Jeff Walls, um, for Jeff Walls, you know, you don't chase credibility. And 
that kind of falls into this conversation here at Satterfield. If he didn't feel appreciated after his one winning season, um, my advice to him would be, and I think you can, I think this could, I think this transcends college football to high school soccer or any walk of life. You don't, you don't chase credit. You don't, not, not credibility. You don't chase gratitude. You know, you don't chase gratitude. Um, South Carolina could have thrown him a $10 million check, you know, um, you know, five five year deal, two million per year, you know, with the opportunity to get bonuses and all that stuff. Um, it still wouldn't have bought him, you know, he'd still be looking at he'd still be looking at, man, look at the guy look at what the guy at Florida's earning, look at what the guy at Tennessee's earning, look what Mark Stoops is Mark Stoops is earning, and you know, in my opinion, he's not a that man's not a good football coach. Um but look what he's earning. So um you're always gonna if you chase gratitude once you're going to do it again. Really and truly, you're just a dog chasing your tail. Um, right. So anyway, so now he's going to have to, and it looks like based on what I've seen on Twitter, um, his players went to bat for him. Um, so that. so that's, that's a positive sign, but he's going to have to, um, whether regardless of what the players are saying, he's, he's going to have to earn back some of the fans trust. And I'm just going to operate assuming that he's going to move on the first good opportunity that comes along. South Carolina is not a good opportunity. It's not worth leaving Louisville over Wake Forest, um, you know, Wake Forest, Duke, uh, you know, NC state, not good jobs. The only one I could potentially see him leave for if he's successful with us would be Tennessee or North Carolina. And I think North Carolina would have the money to throw at him. So, and we all know Tennessee would too. So, but you can't lead the nation in turnovers if you're going to try and get an SEC job or ACC, another big, another job, Scott. So, um, and uh, anyway, so, and why couldn't that conversation be held over, uh, be held through a text message? I don't get it. I mean, it's, it, it shouldn't be that hard. So he's got some ground to cover. That's for sure. Um, it's just a bizarre, weird situation. Yeah, and it, it's not the first time either. I mean, mobile football has a history of this. Yeah, so we shouldn't be yeah. too shocked about it. No, we shouldn't be. It's always going to be that way, uh, probably. I would assume. I mean, and here's the other thing: to the fans that are griping, hey, be a, hey. I know it's been a pandemic, but any other year, why don't you be in your seats at at kickoff? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah. get off the party deck, get out of the parking lot, be in your seats at kickoff and give it a real college football atmosphere. If we want to be one of the big boys, we got a fan like like the big boys do. So um, that's just all there is to it. It makes me mad. I'll stay – Chris, I'm a guy that I'll stay until the end of the game because I want to see the third-string quarterback and see what he looks like. Right. You know, I want to see what the new freshman running back looks like. Yeah, I mean, you know? that's how I am with if I ever go to basketball games. I don't leave five minutes, you know, with five minutes on the clock like half the fan base does. Right. Doesn't make Doesn't... And it has, no doubt about it. Heck, we've seen a lot happen in five seconds. Uh, you know. So anyway, so Scott, you know, and the conversation of, of, of buy-in, you know, this falls into, Chris, that conversation, that question that we're going to see later on of, you know, do you achieve buy-in once and you're made in the shade or do you have to maintain it? And, Scott, you know, over these last couple of weeks, he's done a poor job maintaining it. I mean, again, players are going to bat for him, so that's good. Um, but you still have uh, – the, the players aren't the only stakeholders in the program. Your season ticket buyers, your boosters, um, players' parents, um, they, uh, uh, they're stakeholders as well. And he's got to win them back. He's got to get them bought back in. Um, so and he's got some ground to cover there. So I'm anxious to see how he responds to that. Definitely, yeah. They have a game this Saturday as well, so we'll see what happens for sure. So we'll see what happens. All right, let's talk about Sarah Fuller. Yeah, um, I know she uh, made history. You know, the first woman to punt for. Excuse my ignorance here. I don't. I'm not too familiar with the situation. Is it Vanderbite? Vanderbilt. Yeah, uh, she kicked it yeah. in. She was supposed to do it again last week, but it got canceled. Right. Uh, I think it's great, honestly. I know a lot of people are, you know, going on Twitter and saying some really nasty stuff. It's kind of surprising, really, but at the same time, it's not. But uh, I don't know. Yeah, I think it's great. Who cares how she kicked the ball? The, the point was she was making history, and she was, you know, kind of saying to other girls, look, if I can do this, so could you. 
Yeah. Chris, you know what I think? You know what I think we'll see over the next twenty to thirty years. I, I think we're I think we're going to see fem- women's football. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, North Bullet they they had a a girl that uh, was one of their punters for a game they had. It may look a lot different than uh, the men's game. You know, the men have eleven players on the field. The women could you know, have, I don't know, uh, the women could have seven or eight on the field at once. Um, but I could totally see, um, women's football becoming at least a club sport on the college level, uh, or an inter, I guess, intramural, whatever you want to call it. Um, I could see it on the club, on the college level. I could see it on the, on the high school level, but I think we'll start to see over the next 20 years, we'll start to see, uh, women's varsity football at schools, sprinkled throughout the country not every school will be able to pull it off but you'll see it um throughout the country again soccer started the same way um you know you had boys teams and then uh you know one or two girls players and then it turns out there was enough interest for a girls team and that's how that's how the sport grows i, I could honestly so, see in the xfl if they're coming back or uh, dwayne johnson his football league i can honestly see him doing something like that potentially Boy. yeah potentially um my take on it is, Chris, I think it's a good thing and that girls know it's possible now. Again, I don't know if it's some I don't know if we need to, you know, march women out there to play uh with the men. Um I hope that doesn't I hope that doesn't come off as sexist. I don't mean it to. Um and I hope it's I don't mean for it to. Um but again, I'm optimistic that we'll see women's football down the road. Um you know, and I need I need to defend the situation. So let's go ahead and talk about the the blowback that we saw. All right. Here's what went into her coming out to play. All right. For those of us that don't know how football or soccer works. And again, I don't know much about football. I'm a fan, but I got to assume, listen, Vanderbilt didn't have a kicker or punter. All right. The coach knows he's getting fired. Right. Vanderbilt doesn't have a men's soccer team. So what the coach does, he goes and gets the uh, the girls team's goalie, the women's team's goalie. Right. To me, that's the next best option. Now, you'll see some schools they'll they'll just march somebody out there on the you know some teams will march somebody out there to take the kick or whatever. But guess what? The man Derek Mason had a horrific losing record at Vanderbilt, right? I think he's won. I think he said he's won ten games in six seasons. You know, um, it's not good. And I think he was winless. They're winless this year. Um, so, is there some motivation? Uh, you know, is there some intrinsic motivation on his part? Is there an agenda on his part to maybe generate some goodwill for a job down the road? Sure. Right. And to be fair, he's taking a risk. He took a risk and he said, because he's got nothing to lose. He went and asked this girl, this woman, I'm sorry, uh, if she would like to, uh, she'd like to kick in the football game on Saturday. When you're 0 and 8 or whatever the number was for Vanderbilt, when you haven't won anything your entire, you know, you're out. What what harm could it do? You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And and oh by the way, if you don't think this girl, this woman, if you don't think this woman Sarah Fuller has a Nike contract coming her way, you're kidding yourself. You know. So this has been good for her. Um, and he went out and got the girls, the girls, the women's soccer goalie. So, um. I saw a lot of pushback on it. One of the one of the sports personalities that I used to listen to, he and I haven't agreed on much this year, uh, Clay Travis, right? And I'm going to tag him in this uh, podcast. I really am. Um, and to see if he li- gives it a listen. You know, he had a take, and I don't agree with this take that he had. And, and if he and if he wants to fire back, hopefully he doesn't humiliate me on, on social media. We'll see. <laughs> um, he might, and I'll take it like a man. Uh, and we don't know all the facts, right? But Van, he, he reported that Vanderbilt players were considering quitting after that game, right? Oh, my God. And Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So here's my, here's my argument for that to those players. Dude, you're playing for a coach that's won 10 games in six seasons at Vanderbilt, right? You're just now wanting to quit? You're playing for a coach that you knew what, how successful he wasn't when you signed on to play there or transferred there. You had every you had this past off season to transfer. If he was as bad, he's as bad now as he was last year. So why you know why did it take uh, uh, bringing out a, a member of the women's soccer team to kick 
why did that take why did why did it take that for you to decide screw this I'm not playing the last few games you know that doesn't make sense so I don't agree with that take at all um so what we got to remember is that anytime we see these moments there's always going to be resistance and there's always going to be bad takes I don't agree with Clay Travis's take on this situation I thought it was a good thing for that for that woman to get that opportunity uh, it doesn't mean every school is going to be marching out. In fact, you know what? A lot of coaches, Chris, wouldn't have taken that chance because they knew they might lose the locker room. Again, there's that buy-in again. But guess what? Derek Mason, you're, he's 0-8. He doesn't have the buy-in to begin with. So you might as well you know, try and uh, do something that might make you look good for your next job, and that might help this young woman out. You know? And again, if you don't think she's getting a Nike contract here in the next year or so, you're kidding yourself. <laughs> Yeah, it's so yeah. interesting, and like I said, she would have done it again last week, but it got canceled for uh, COVID. I guess the the other team mm-hmm. had it. So, yeah, and uh, let me bring up this, Chris. These players that wanted to quit, why did they? Now, again, we don't know all the facts, so I could be I could be told I'm wrong. Why did none of these players come forward and say, "Coach, I'll go ahead and kick on Saturday"? You know, well, you know why, Chris? Because that. It's a losing locker room. It's a losing environment down at Vanderbilt. And when you're in a losing environment, players don't come forward. Players don't come forward and, you know, and offer and offer to help when you're in a losing environment. And you know what they do after the decision, the coach makes a decision, then they gripe about it and want to quit. Right. So if, if no players, if no players stepped up, Hey, that's on them. You know, a linebacker, a wide receiver, somebody could have come forward and said, "Coach, I'll kick on Saturday." You know, or and I'll punt. I mean, that's all it would have taken. So, um, bad take, bad take. I don't agree with Clay Travis's take on that in that report. I don't agree with the players wanting to quit only at that point. You know, so Vanderbilt must be a great school to keep uh, to keep people there uh, to play football. That's all I'm gonna say. Yeah, it must be. I'm not too familiar with that school, so. It's a really good academic school. It's like it's probably the only reason it's in the SEC and that and its location in Nashville. Hmm. So um, anyway, let's move on. Let's get into what we're talking about today. We're talking about getting teams to buy in. Chris, get us rolling. Yeah, let's start off with the obvious question. Uh, how do you get buy in and what exactly do you mean by it? Uh, getting players to listen to you. It's, it's to put it in simple okay. terms, you know, getting buy-in is uh, getting your players to believe in your message. Um, getting buy-in is all about um, having your players uh, do what coach wants them to do, trusting coaches uh, direction and leadership and not giving, you know, not saying at the last second, Nope, I'm going to go, I'm going to do this, you know, when, when um, they get tired or when the pressure's on. So that's what's buying That's what buy-in is. Okay. So, I mean, how have you, you know, kind of taught that or, or, you know, uh, gotten that throughout your experience? Okay. Um, I think players have to know all about you and what you're about. Um, coaches come in with some house money based on their position alone. Um, the coaching position, Chris. Yeah. I mean, it, it comes with a set, you know, it comes with a set level of respect, right? Um, and you can command that respect that way, but after that, it's you know initially, but after that, it's up to the coach to show respect and care to their players. Um, you got to do things to maintain that respect. Um, again, uh, you'll see hear me say this a lot today. It's like a garden, right? Um, you know, getting buy-in is could be something as simple as paying for a pizza party at your first practice, um, and it could be something as um, humbling as apologizing to the team after make decisions that didn't pan out. I've done both. Right. And both times we've gotten good results for the most part. So, um, you, uh, again, a coach has got house money, uh, but that's it. And, you know, if you're put it this way, Chris, if you're a coach and you are making decisions in October and the team questions you and you say, well, I'm the coach, so that's how we're doing it. Um, um, I don't, I don't know if you're going to win. Um, I don't know if you're going to, you might win, you might win, but the culture within your team is not going to be great. Right. So it goes hand in hand with building your culture and developing your environment. Okay. Now you mentioned so, pizza, but I, I just have to ask you this. Uh, have you tried the double mm-hmm. cheeseburger pizza yet? 
No, I'm a picky eater. I'll eat cheese pizza. <laughs> yeah, no, it looks pretty Sorry. good. I'm thinking about getting it. Normally not a Papa John. But 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 check this out again. It's all about. It's kind of like water in a garden. You invest. You maintain that buy-in, right? So, Chris, I will bet that in my time at Fairdale, I probably paid for at least three pizza parties per yeah, season. Yeah, I remember you uh, talking about that before on Twitter. What, it was something, yeah. if you had this many shutouts or something, you would get pizza, right? I think every two shutouts or something, or every time we got a shutout, I'd promise a pizza party. And that got to be expensive because our defense turned to, our defense turned up <laughs> in that situation. So I had to turn it into donuts. Yeah, I remember every saying that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but you gotta, uh, but hey, here's the other thing you gotta remember, Chris. And again, this goes back to Scott Satterfield. Um, at the end of the day, winning is the best way to maintain that buy-in or to get that buy-in in most cases. If you win, you've got everybody's attention for the most part. Okay. Now, I know that's sad to say, but it, that's just reality. For sure. So what, you know, what makes getting the buy-in difficult? What's some challenges there? Uh, I think um, I'll, 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 I'll tell a story here. When I was at Franklin Simpson in my second year, I think there was, and I didn't feel this at all, right? But I think there was some hope that I was going to get some buy-in from the kids. We'd, we'd had a lot of kids graduate that were, that made buy-in difficult. So I think there was some hope that the, that the kids, that the returning players my second year were going to do a better job buying in. Um, I never felt that was going to be that. I, I never felt like that was going to be the, uh, the case. Um, but I think some parents did. But anyway, so I think I've told the story before. I woke up in the middle of the night. My neighbor woke me up actually and said, hey, your car has been vandalized. I go out and I find that and a nasty note, uh, a perverse note, I should say. And it turns out that it was four of my soccer players that vandalized my car. Um, and so um, I disciplined them. Uh, for it and um i i would discipline differently but there were people that were advocating and said look you're gonna lose the team and i'm like why because guess what if they don't if if i don't do something about it when they do it to me who says they won't do it to because by the way parent mom and dad your kid was out in the middle of the night at like 3 a.m doing this so in a dangerous neighborhood so that's on you but also um um you know, if they do it to me and get away with it, who's what's what's going to stop them from doing it to the principal or the athletic director or the superintendent? You see what I'm saying? And uh, and surprise, one of these kids was the superintendent's son. So I suspended them from the bluegrass games. This was in the summer, and I suspended them from the bluegrass games. And um, I also the, uh, took away their starting spots the first four games of the regular season. Right. Uh, that last part was my mistake. I should have, after the bluegrass games, I should have looked at those boys and said, all right, it's over. Um, let's get back to it. Let's get back to normal now. I should have done that, but I, let, I made it linger. And what that did was, um, because these kids were our best play, some of our best players. So we struggled without them. And a lot of the kids on the, that, were, that were, were able to play were like, come on, coach, let them back. Come on. And I wouldn't budge. And um, if I could go back, I would have, uh, I would have, after the bluegrass games, I would have said, once we got other kids' experience in that uh, in that tournament, I would have said, "All right, let's play. Let's get back to it." That's interesting. So, do you think us. you know if you would have let them play, it wouldn't have caused any more problems? Is that, is that what you're getting at? Yeah, and, and again, that's and that and again, there's that conflict I talked about a couple of weeks ago, man. Um, again, I, Chris, I was going to have to suspend them either for that, or either for doing that, or doing it to the principal's car one of these days, or somebody else's car. You see what I'm saying? Right. You know, and then, and then, and then Chris, guess who they would have blamed regardless. You. If, um, right. So to me, might as well do it now, you know, and not wait until district tournament week when they do something stupid and then have, to, and then we, we don't have those players and I'm the first coach to lose in districts and guess who they blame for that. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, character so, needs to come first though. I, I believe it, if it was me, I, I would have just told him no. But then again, they are kids. Yeah. 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 Well, and, and, yeah. And again, these were some of our best players. So yeah, other it, kids it, on the team it, were right. like, coach, 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 you know. Well, no, but at the same time, the kids on the team that are playing are like, coach, can we get them back in? And I'm sitting here saying no. And at that point, I'm losing. I'm cutting off my nose to spite my face. Um, they sat out the bluegrass games, and that should have been enough. 
you know, uh, that, and that should have been enough. Uh, you don't want discipline lingering. You know, if you're going to suspend a kid for more than two or three games, you just might as well send him home for the year. Okay. You know, if it's that if it's that bad, um, because otherwise it's just going to linger. So, um, something else that makes getting buy-in difficult. Um, uh, sometimes you get resistance from players that comes from loyalty to another coach. Uh, back at FS, uh, you know, a lot of the kids were loyal to their old coach that was there before me. That's understandable. You can't really get mad about that. I mean, just like I'm sure this past year there were kids at, at Fairdale that, you know, at first were – I think Nolan did a good job getting the buy-in from the looks of things, but I'm sure there were some struggles uh, early on in getting the buy-in because there were kids that were used to my voice and uh, my way of doing things. Um, so, but uh, – I think this is where we can touch on the disconnect we see between high school and club coaches, right? When I was at North Oldham, the one year I was at North Oldham, when I was an assistant coach out there, one of the struggles we faced was getting buy-in or for getting buy-in was that we'd have players playing positions that they didn't play with their club team, right? And therefore the players and their parents weren't fully invested into their role on the team. And that would put the club coach, whoever that may have been in a position to undermine us. See what I'm saying? So again, we'll talk when we talk next week. Uh, when we do club versus high school next week, that's going to be something we talk about: is addressing, finding a way to address that disconnect between club and high school coaches. Um, and then the last thing I think that hurts uh, buy-in is uh, family demands. I mean, that's what makes that's what made my 2012 team so great is they were able to sacrifice some of those demands so that that we can put a, have a great season. You know, and we did. We had a phenomenal, phenomenal season. Uh, my last year at Fairdale, not quite the same. Uh, I, I've made a point that those boys were in higher demand from their families than any other team I've ever coached. Um, and the parents weren't bought in uh, because of you know whatever else was going on at home. So kids would, you know, we had a very selfish team because of that. Um, they that team was not as willing as willing to sacrifice for the greater good as the team in 2012 and the team in 2012, because they were willing to sacrifice for the greater good. We went 17 and three, the team in 2019, because they weren't willing to sacrifice for the greater good of the team. We went 10 and 11 and had a heartbreaking finish. So, um, so those are things that, that get in the way of buy-in a lot. Definitely. Okay. So, you know, what are some things about your coaching that have helped you, uh, you know, kind of get the buy-in from players and parents? Um, I think from parents, I think it's a lot of transparency. I think if you explain situations, if you own up when you say, hey, I made a mistake there, that's my fault, everybody, I think parents will buy in. And it depends on, you can't, you can't say it's, you know, you can't take the blame every time, you know, because I think you got to, you run the risk of losing credibility. But, um, you know, let the parents know what's going on as much as you can. Uh, parents that are in the know on things, Chris, are supportive parents. So you could say the craziest stuff, and if the parents are constantly filled in on things, they'll support it for the most part. Uh, with my Mockingbird team, a couple things I've been told, um, I've heard either parents or players say, is that um, accountability has been big when I've coached. Um, you know, kids, you know, kids don't get away with being bullies. They don't get away with, um, uh, you know, if there's something that needs to be fixed, I'm on them about fixing it, you know, with their game and everything. Um, I bring a lot of intensity. Uh, I had a kid like the first practice this year at Mockingbird. One of the boys said, love the intensity on his way out. And, you know, that hit me right in the feels. I was like, yes, all right, this is good. Uh, and trust. Um, uh, players got to know that you got their back. You know, um, players got to know that you got their back. So if there is, so we've, you know, we've had a couple of instances this year where kids, it's a middle school team, pretty much it's sixth, seventh graders. So they've had some, um, uh, there's been a couple of issues with, um, kids getting picked on and everything. And, you know, if those kids know that I'm going to address it and I'm not going to stand for it, they'll do just about anything for you. They really will. So I can think back to when my senior year, we had a new coach. Um, and he took up for me one day at practice. I'd made a mistake and he said, Hey, if y'all are going to yell at him, uh, uh, I mean, I felt like so vindicated 
he was like, hey, if y'all going to yell at him, uh, if y'all are going to only yell at him, and then when he does something right, you don't say anything at all, then this ain't going to work, you know? And he he was defending me. And, um, you know, to this day, um, that empowered, I, I still think that's something that empowered me a lot. And that's a line I use. Hey, you know, don't sit here and yell at a guy. And then when they, when he does a good job on something, you're quiet. That's a piss poor culture that you're creating when you do that. Sure. So at Fairdale and Warren East, I mean, Fairdale, me and the kids at Fairdale, I think we just love soccer equally. I think those kids, those boys wanted somebody that loved soccer as much as them. Um, and they got that with me. Um, we were able to have really good, honest conversations um, that included feedback. Feedback's key here, Chris, when it comes to buy-in, because kids want to know where they stand. They don't want to. They don't want to. They, they don't want to go into the weekend with questions about whether or not they're starting on Monday or not. You know what I mean? Um, at Fairdale and Warren East, we had inclusive environments. Um, you know, I was a tough coach. I was. Um, uh, I, I was. You know, I was quick to compliment, but at the same time. If I saw a problem with somebody that uh, with something that a player was doing, I let them know about it real quick, and I kept and I kept on them until uh, until they fixed it. Um, and I was invested. I mean, uh, players love seeing their coach out there putting lines on the field. They they love seeing their coach getting their hands dirty, and um, so I think those are the things that have helped me achieve buy-in um, throughout my career. I think if if you had to ask my players and parents, those would be the things. That okay, they'd tell so. You. You know, is is buy-in just a one-time hurdle, or do you have to just maintain it? You you come in with house money, Chris, right? But you have that for maybe like a month, or or maybe not even that, like the first game, and after that, uh, you got it's like a garden. You got to water it every day. Um, you know, maintaining the buy-in is something as simple as, "Hey, buddy, what'd you do this weekend?" To, "Hey, how's your dad doing? I saw that he was sick." Um, you gotta, you gotta have those kind of conversations to maintain your buy-in. If you're not doing that, and if you're just relying on wins, or let's say you get off to, uh, you win your first game and you think, Hey, and you beat your big rival down the road. Um, you're thinking, Hey, you know, um, well, that's it. You know, Chris put it this way. Let's go back to 2012 for a minute. I know you're going to hate me for bringing it up. So we, we beat Butler, right? If I had just said, if my mentality was, okay, whatever I say goes the rest of the year because we beat Butler and uh, now the kids have to listen to me. If that was my mentality, Chris, I don't know how we, we wouldn't have won the district and we wouldn't have made it to the regional final. We wouldn't have had the season that we did. You got to maintain it every day. So after that Butler game, you know, I mean, I was real quick the next day at practice, let the team know how proud I was of them and everything. And that was a big moment for our program. Let's move forward together. Um, so, um, it's a garden. You got to water it every day. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, you know, what mistakes have you seen or, you know, what mistakes have you seen coaches make to lose buy-in and uh, some mistakes that you've made as well? Uh, um, well, I see a lot of, uh, this was something I did early on. I would make knee-jerk reactions to a disciplinary issue. Um, I'd always be ready to drop the hat uh, early on in my career, probably before I got to Fairdale, I was always probably too quick to drop the ax. I talked about the situation in 2009 where I suspended the boys and took away their starting spots for like an eight game stretch. It seemed like, um, that was, that was very, very bad. Um, that was, that was poor. That was a poor reaction on my part. Um, the suspending them for the bluegrass games would have, would have done it. That would have been just fine. Um, making a bad decision in game, which that's one, Chris, that, you know, you know, uh, I mean, it, it's a 50% chance you're going to get it right and a 50% chance you're going to get it wrong. Right. So you sub this kid in the last 10 minutes and, you know, you know, you sub, you play him in the midfield and the other team takes advantage and scores a game winning goal. Right. That happens all the time. That happens all the time when coaches lose game when when teams lose games. That's what uh, that's what that looks like. Um, and then the next day, you know, you got to talk to the team and say, "Hey, uh, I made a bad decision. I'm trying to get kids in, but I also got to understand when's the appropriate time to play a kid and when it's not." And um, so you got to have those kind of again honest conversations. Um, and then uh, not showing commitment, you know, not being one of the boys again. 
get, the boys want to see you getting dirty. They want to see you out in the rain with them. You better not have an umbrella. If you go out and practice in the rain or you're coaching in, in the rain, you better not have an umbrella. You know, a hood is okay. A hood over your head is okay. But you better not have an umbrella. You, those kids need to see you soaked and muddy as, as much as they are. You know, in 2018, when uh, my first year back, we had, a, I mean, it poured down rain. Uh, if you ask Caleb about this, if, he's, if he listens to this one, he'll remember. It poured down rain, and we practiced. And then we worked on diving headers in the mud. And then we got yelled at for, and then and then we got yelled at for messing up the football <laughs> practice field. <laughs> so, I mean, but you know what? I was just, I did it too. I was out there too. I was soaked. I was muddy. And you know what What's the that? kids Bye, saw? Yeah. They bought in. They saw. They. I was one of them. You know, That's those funny. are the things you got to do. Only, only in uh, so, high school soccer did we cancel games for rain. And if that was a game, you wouldn't have been playing. And that <laughs> no, you no, you're absolutely yeah. right. We never would have, we never would have played that day. But we had a great practice. It was a fun practice. Um, you got to do things like that. I mean, my philosophy has always been: once if you're out there in the middle, we Chris, we could be out there working on one on one defending, right? And the second that rain starts to come down, I'm stopping practice, and I'm going to turn around, look at everybody, and say, "All right, let's pick teams. We're scrimmaging, <laughs> and then we're going to work on yeah. diving headers." It's funny how. Soccer, so, you know, we, we cancel games for all those rains, but in Europe and they play regardless. It, yeah, I don't always seem bizarre to me how we do it that way. So. I've never. It's always now. There have been times I've canceled. I've canceled practice because of rain, but that there was also maybe because I was behind on grading papers. It could have been for you know we just needed the rest. Um, but my philosophy has always been: if you're going to be out in the rain, number one, you better not have an umbrella. Number two. You better not have those boys standing around because they're not going to get anything done standing around in the rain. You need to have them moving. So let's scrimmage. Okay. Um, You know, let's get into conversations here. So what role does an honest conversation play in the buy-in? I think that um, feedback is important. Everybody wants to know where they stand. Um, uh, I've, I've had one of the things I've told my players if there was drama on the team, I've pulled the two boys aside and I've said, "Hey, if it, especially if it was like Friday, um, or if a kid I could tell had a kid had a bad week, I'd say, you know, they'd tell me what the problem was, right? And then I'd tell them my response would be, "Okay, take the weekend. You need to fix. You got the weekend coming up. Fix the problem, right? But it better not be a problem. It better not be a problem out here on Monday. You know, if a kid is doing something has a bad habit that they just won't shake." I'll tell them on Friday, hey, uh, if you come out on Monday and you're still doing that, you, you've lost your starting spot. You know, uh, we had to do that a lot in 2019 with a lot of kids, um, and because they just for whatever reason um, weren't responding to me. Uh, so, but that was one of the things about Fairdale that worked out so well is that everybody always knew where they stood, whether it was, you know, they were playing well or had something that needed to be improved upon. I think I gave out my last year at Fairdale, uh, or those last two years at Fairdale, I think I gave out evaluation cards twice a season, maybe maybe three times, I can't remember, Um, but definitely twice a season. Uh, One for July, one for August, and then probably one for September, if I'm remembering correctly. This year with Mockingbird, I think I gave out two evaluation cards. Kids need to know where they stand. Parents need to know where they stand that way, players check this out players appreciate the opportunity to mentally prepare for something right that requires an honest conversation so if i'm thinking that a kid's just not cutting it as a striker because they won't turn and shoot or they want they take too many touches or they're not aggressive enough i'll give them you know i'll say hey look here's what we're looking at if if we go through these next two games if we go through these next two games and you haven't gotten better in that spot uh we're gonna go ahead and make a move because we've got district games coming yeah. up. You see what I'm saying? And that gives that gives them a chance to mentally prepare for that, and it's up to them to make the improvements. And they can sit and gripe. I've had kids that – I mean, I've had teams that would have most definitely taken that information and said, screw you, I'm not, I'm not getting better. And I've had teams that have said, okay, I, gotta get, I better get better. And they've come out, and we've gotten good results. Um, if, you're getting, if you're thinking about making a goalie change, if you're thinking about um, – you know, changing the lineup um, uh, of any kind, anyway, 
you got to give the kids time to mentally prepare for it. And you got to give them a chance to improve, in my opinion. If you just spring it on them the day of, man, you're going to have the buy. You're going to lose them. You are going to lose that kid and probably his friends or her friends. You know, so I think that's the role honest conversations play. There are things that they're think they're they're so coaches a lot of times struggle with honest conversations. I did when I was younger. Um, you might want to use this line, you know, okay, so here's the reality we're facing, right? That's what you'll, that's something you'll say to a kid. Here's the reality we're facing. The, you know, you know, unfortunately the reality is, I mean, that word reality, um, tends to hook parents and kids when you're explaining a situation to them. Here's what we're facing. Here's the reality we're facing. And, but you better also have a way to fix it. Right. When you tell them that. So, okay. Yeah. That's yeah. good. Good stuff so, there. Uh, one last question here. So, you know, where would you rather try to get by it after a region final or after a winless uh, season? I've experienced both. Um, I can tell you after, after the, we went to the regional final in 2012 um, and kids all over the place do this. Kids struggle to listen after they're successful. You know, kids get soft after kids, especially get soft after they're successful. Coaches do it too. It happened to me. So, and then, you know, once ever, cause I made the mistake of going from 2012 to 2013 thinking we were one step away from winning the region. Right. So we worked on those things that we were one step short on. You can't do that. You still have to work on the basics like, you know, finishing, defending and everything and going up for headers and all that stuff. We didn't do that. We got soft and we got exposed. And that's in 2013, we ended up going like 11 and eight. And we really struggled. We really struggled to score that year. And that shouldn't have been the case. So um, I think that after a region, going to a regional championship, um, you're looking at a lot of work being wasted if the buy-in doesn't go well. If you lose the team after that, that's a lot of work wasted. Now, after a winless season, um, you know, you can tell kids, hey, you don't have a room, you don't have any room to gripe about where I put you. Because guess what? You wherever you were at last year, that didn't work either. So um you've got to uh, again both situations you got to maintain buy-in, right? Um I think right now, Chris, I would take the winless season though. I would take, I would take getting buy-in after that. Um, for the most part, kids are eager for leadership. Kids are eager for eager to, um, um, they're eager to be, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, um, they're eager. For, kids are eager for leadership. Parents are eager for transparency. And if you can bring the, it, it's a very low ceiling for what you have to accomplish to, in order to get buy-in after a winless season. Right. And I think that's what happened with me at Fairdale and at, at Warren East is that it was a pretty low ceiling. I didn't have, I didn't have to reach very far to get by in. Um, maintaining it is the hard part. So do you think, after especially the, if you're the 2018, successful. you know, uh, championship game with Butler, do you think you kind of lost the buy-in after that game, which led in next year? Yeah. Yeah, I think so, Chris. Um, again, a lot of it was those kids, um, a lot yeah, of those right. kids you had a lot of commitments at home, that team would so and win the region. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And and this is one of the mistakes I've made. We we went ahead and skipped this question because we're you know we're trying not to hold everybody hostage for an hour and a half. But what mistake? You know, I've always been one of my mistakes is, and this this turns people off. I'm impatient, right? So my thoughts are, Chris, if um, my thoughts are, Chris, if uh, we go – and I've done this. I did this every time at Fairdale except 2015. In 2012 and 2018, we came we, – you know, we were in position to win the region, lost in the final, right? My mentality is, guys, hurry up, hurry up. Come on, we got to get better. We got to do this so that we can win the region next year. Come on, come on, come on. This is our window. This is it. And that's, that's, that's very off-putting, you know? Um, you know – not everybody's always going to be right. on the same journey as you. And um, that's the mistake I've made. I mean, those kids wanted to win the region. 
But um, when it came to doing the things, uh, well, let me say this. Everybody wants to win the region, right? That group just was not willing and probably not able to make the sacrifices necessary to 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 win the region. You know, um, it was it was going to take a, a, a group effort. It was going to take everybody. It was going to take sacrifice. Um, like I said, we should have won it in 2012 because those kids sacrificed. You know, they had they had commitments at home. They <clears throat> they had demands at home. And we they and because of that, <clears throat> because they made those sacrifices, we were able to and they bought in. They bought into my leadership. We were able to go seventeen and three. The next year, I think I think my impatience was a little off putting, and um, uh, I had to make some decisions that I had to make a couple decisions that while the kids said they were good with it, I don't think they were completely bought in after making those decisions. So, um. It's, um, you know, that's, that's the tough, For that's sure. what makes being a coach a tough job. Yeah, man, that, that 2019 season sure was something, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, it was a lot of, it was a lot of work. Now, hey, great things happened that year. You know, no, again, I mean, we accomplished a lot. I mean, um, but man, um, uh, I really thought we were gonna, I was like, man, if we could just keep getting better throughout the season, we're gonna go through this tough schedule. Uh, we're going to improve our speed of play, and uh, we're going to have a chance to beat Butler, um, a better chance to beat Butler. Um, and then, of course, you know, um, another team yeah. decided, no, I think we're going to beat Butler. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that's just, hey, that's soccer. That's sports, man. That's that's what happens. I mean, um, that's what makes it – that's what yeah, makes it great that was, is that it's so freaking unpredictable. Interesting season. Yeah. I don't think anybody expected what happened that season. It was – Sure was something. <laughs> was something. Yeah. 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 No, no All doubt right. about it. Well, why don't you no give us an update it. on uh, the book or the, the second book that you're working on and training and all that good stuff. I think right now, man, I'm, I'm sitting back and I'm collecting my thoughts on book number two. I still don't have a title for it. Um, I'm trying really hard. It's, it's going to be talking about player development. Kids get lectured enough every day about, you know, making sacrifices and the things they need to do to develop. So, Chris, what I'm trying to do right now is come you know, is think of another angle in which to, uh, you know, offer, you know, I want this book to be kind of a guidebook in a player's development journey. Right. Um, right now, I feel like I'm a lecturing an old man lecturing. So I'm I'm taking a step back. I'm going to let my thoughts collect. I'm going to number one, I'm I'm so busy right now and. Um, you know, I apparently I don't have my head screwed on straight. So um, I'm going to take a step back and let some thoughts come to me like it did with Prime. And then I'm going to get back into uh, book number two. Um, you know, Prime, hopefully uh, it's available on I know it's available on Amazon and Lulu.com. Uh, I've sold about probably about 65 copies so far. Would love to get to 100 by Christmas. I don't know if that's going to happen or not. I'm also going to look to in 20. I think all the business for Prime is going to be done in 2021. Yeah, I, think I was at Barnes we'll & Noble the other day. I didn't um, see it there yet. No, and honestly, Chris, I don't know if we're going to attack Barnes & Noble or not because, I mean, um, bookstores yeah. are kind of I becoming a thing of the past cool right now. So, forever. Oh, yeah, sure. It, it would mean a lot to have that book. It, it would it would mean something for the, for Prime to be yeah. on Barnes and Noble's website and on a shelf. Um, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna pursue other outlets though right. first before Local I business. before I decide to do Barnes and Noble. You'd have a better um, shot there, I have a think. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm also gonna see. I'm also gonna try and sell uh, sell some Prime packages and um, as part of uh, uh, if I do any team camps next summer. Um, which I'm about to fire off another tweet about that tweet blast about that. Um, I may have uh, give the uh, teams a special deal on uh, everybody getting a book um, that, you know, everybody on the team getting a book that if I go work their camp. So um, a lot going on. Um, really, really anxious for 2021. I think we're going to take some steps in 2021. Yeah, definitely. I'm excited. So, all so. right. Uh, well, is that week, it for today? A, a big one that I know we've been wanting to do for a while. A club versus high school. So mm-hmm. hopefully we'll get some reactions mm-hmm. from that. Right. 
Right. And here's the other thing about that too. This is, I think Chris, because I'm, I'm still relatively new to club, right? So don't be surprised if we come back and revisit this topic yeah, again right. next summer. You see what I'm saying? So, um, we'll see, uh, we'll see what's happening with that. And, uh, but yeah, next week we're doing club versus high school. It's going to be a great discussion. Um, I think we're going to get a lot of good feedback off that. And I think we're going to get a lot of good feedback. We get a lot of good feedback every yeah. week. I'm, uh, I'm enjoying doing this show. Yeah, so I mean, I lost we're, track of what we're having fun. Is, but it could be up to 40 by now. I don't know. Oh, me too. Uh, we haven't so. missed a week yeah. since what, May? Uh, it was May. Was yeah, it April or May we got started? So, Yeah, we also need to think of what we're going to wow. do for a one year next spring. So... Um, so I have some ideas that I'll share with you, but we're not going to make those right. public just yet. So, okay. All right. Good job, Chris. And, and all right. That is step to the podcast and <laughs> Scott Satterfield. It's killing me, yeah. man. All right.